Coming up this week on the Pinstripe Pod, we have a stacked lineup of guests beginning with the post Peter Body to talk sports, movies, and his new Yankees book. One of the stars of the hit show Orange is the New Black and Yankees fan Dasha Polanco joins us. Nelly and I also chat with a rabid Yankees fan and a great actor, Nick Turturro. All that and a lot more next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, a New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, former Yankee and four-time World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, where you can rate us five stars and write a nice review. You can also subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We got a big lineup for today's show. Peter Body, Dasha Polanco, and Nick Turturro all join us, so let's get right to it. Hey, Chris, still Groundhog Day down here with the quarantine, although today it is raining like cats and dogs. Usually it's been 85 to 90 degrees. You get out and golf, you hit the beach, you do whatever. But, uh, you know, fortunately, we're able to do that, but still thinking of everybody up in New York, all my friends in the city. Yeah, beach and golf are a no-go uh, in the Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, tri-state area. It's just not happening. It's tough going. We were supposed to have opening day back on March 26th. Uh, we didn't have it in the major leagues, but we had it in my backyard. My daughters wanted to go out and play a little ball. So I took them out there, pitched to them for like an hour. And wouldn't you know it, I put the camera up there with us. And my uh, older daughter, Mackenzie, hits a line drive right off the camera and knocks the camera down. So we went a little viral. So she I was saw a happy. I saw it. I saw the little uh, opening day at the Sheeran house. <laughs> Yeah, she she was very happy. She was very excited. All right, let's uh, let's get into this. We we have a star-studded show, Nelly. So let's get right into it here. Joining us in the opening segment now is New York Post sports writer Peter Body. Follow Peter on Twitter at Peter Body. That's B O T T E. Go get his new book too, The Big Fifty: The Men and the Moments That Made the New York Yankees. On April fourteenth on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or wherever you get your books, we will tweet out the link, and you can pre-order it now for sixteen ninety-five. Now, Peter. I was one of the diligent readers who did pre-order the book, and I did send you a direct message on Twitter a couple months ago when I did it, but I just got an email from Amazon telling me that it's going to be delayed. So maybe you could add to that and tell everybody out there who does order it what's going on. Sure. Well, first of all, guys, thanks for having me. Uh, Nelly, it's good to hear from you. Yeah, Amazon, obviously right now, understandably, concentrating uh, all of their shipments on essential medical supplies and the like. So it sounds like even if you pre ordered the book. It might be a little bit delayed. Um, if people wanted to order the book, though, at, at another bookseller like a Barnes & Noble or something like that, you probably can get it Probably can get it sooner because, like I said, Amazon has uh, has bigger things on their hands right now. Peter, uh, tell us a little bit about the book. You know, the 50 biggest moments of, of what made the New York Yankees. And I want to know, was I the 51st? Just that's why I didn't make it. <laughs> You might have been 51 or 52, Jeff. I'm not sure <laughs> which. Although, although they, uh, you're part in that uh, Tino Martinez brawl with the Orioles in uh, oh, there we go in, in 98. Uh, yes. you know, definitely was was a big part of that 98 season uh, chapter. Um, you know, the funny thing when I was uh, asked to do this book, you know, a, a team like the Yankees, you could probably come up with 500 men and moments that made the New York Yankees if you broke it all down. Uh, they sent me some examples of it's a series of books that the, that Triumph Books has done, and they sent me some other teams, and not to diminish 
banish some other teams, but like they sent me the Minnesota Twins. And like, for instance, the Minnesota Twins, there are probably players in their top 50 that wouldn't make the top 500 with the Yankees. So, you know, what I ended up doing was I combined all of Babe Ruth, all of his moments into one chapter, all of Jeter's moments into one chapter, Garrick DiMaggio, et cetera. Um, so that way I could get to, you know, some other some other big moments, some other players that might have kind of fallen by the wayside. But I feel like it's pretty encompassing. It's really, when you think about it, it's from 1920 when they traded for Babe Ruth through 2020 and the Baby Bombers. So really, it's, it's, a, it's a century of Yankee history all in one place. There's been a ton of Yankee books, um, but I feel like this is a real concise, fun read for people. And I even, Chris, I know you like this. I even added one chapter. Uh, number 49 is uh, George Costanza. So I... <laughs> That is tremendous. You and, I spoke have- to, and, I, and I spoke to Larry David for it. He was great. Oh. Couldn't have been nicer. It was it was a real fun chapter to do. Larry David's portrayal of George Steinbrenner in Seinfeld is probably one of my favorite like side roads or tangents in that in that great show that lasted so long. But Peter, I, this is why you're such a, a great Twitter follow. You and I basically have the same movie likes. We have the same show likes. And I see you tweet out stuff and all the time, all the time, I tweet back at you the next line. My, my wife gives me stuff all the time because I speak in movie lines. She's one of the few people who could like keep up with me, but I really appreciate that about you. And when you bring up Costanza, that, I have to I have to bring that up. Well, it's funny, you know, my kids are in their 20s and they always tell me, nobody gets your references on Twitter. I said, well, oh, maybe yes, you. yes, we do. I said, maybe you and your friends. I said, I, I'm going for a very finite market. And I, I know I know where my, uh, I know where my bread is buttered. So I, I, I you know, I'm really on Twitter to entertain myself more than anything else. And if people like it, that's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely, we're definitely on the same wavelength in that regard. Well, Peter, talk a little bit. Uh, you know, you just mentioned you got some exciting things coming up. So that's been keeping you busy. But obviously, there's no baseball. You know, what have you been hearing on your end? And, you know, are we going to have a season? How much of a season? Yeah, I don't know. That's a $99,000 question, Jeff. I, I don't know. the. I don't know what the answer is. I don't think anybody does. Um, I tend to be on the cautious side of things. And I, I, I think there's a good chance that we don't get sports back in 2020. Wow. I, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I but I think that there's a that there's a possibility that you know I, I do I believe the basketball and the hockey seasons are going to be canceled. I think baseball, if it starts up in the summer, maybe with no fans and etc. I don't buy into this stuff that everything you know that the football season is starting on time and all that sort of stuff. Maybe I'm a doom and gloomer, but I would certainly want to err on the side of caution on this, even though we all obviously would love you know to get back to normal and to have and to have sports back, but. For for me, I feel like this is this isn't something that can be rushed, and I and I think they need to err on the side of caution here. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Peter, hundred uh, percent. You definitely have to err on the side of caution. And Nelly and I have talked about this for weeks now on this podcast. It's not necessarily about you; it's about the people that you could infect. And the scariest thing about it is that people are asymptomatic and they don't know they have it, and they do carry it around. And you could could give it to somebody that is susceptible and could get worse very fast. So you know, it's just a question of just staying safe, staying home and listening to what people are telling you to do. And it's just, a, it's a very, very precarious situation. It's one that I've never been in in my entire life. And I'm sure Peter, you as well, you, you've never experienced this either. Oh, no, of course not. None, none of us have, you know, it's one of these things where nobody knows where, you know, where it's going. I, I think we, I think at this point, we just need to get through these next few weeks and then see where we are. I mean, to even, to even talk about it for me is, is totally premature. All right. Well, there is 
no baseball, uh, but Peter, what we can talk about and what we do have a common thread with you and I, and I'm sure Nelly does as well, the top baseball movies ever made. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so they're they're always around. I'm going to bring this up first. We, we can discuss a lot of them, but I'm going to bring this one up first because my cousin texted me two nights ago and he says, right now, AMC Major League. I was like shot. I, I must have seen this movie, guys, maybe a thousand times. Easy, maybe more. Every scene has a quote unquote movie line in it. It is a movie line generator. It's amazing. Bull Durham's this, it's kind of on the same wavelength, but Major League takes it to another level. See, I always thought, I always thought Bull Durham was the best baseball comedy, but over the years, I've, I've grown to appreciate, I think, Major League more and more. But I wrote the other day, um, with, with nothing to cover, the post has been having me do like a, a movie or sport, a sports movie or sports book or sports TV show recommendation in the paper every day. And I will say this, I think the funniest baseball scene ever in a movie was not in a sports movie. It was from The Naked Gun, yeah. which to me is yeah. the, it's, I, the first hour of the movie, there's no mention of baseball, right? And then the last 20 minutes of the movie is just a hilarious baseball scene, including <laughs> including Reggie Jackson, a robotic yes. Reggie Jackson trying to yeah. assassinate the queen, the queen of England. It's just it's just a hilarious, Les, Leslie Nielsen was one of the great, had the great, some great comedic timing. You guys would appreciate this. You had the broadcast booth with like eight broadcasters, including yes. Dr. Joyce Brothers and whatever. Yes. So, to me, so to me, I find that scene uh, to be great, to be the best baseball scene in a comedy uh, of all time. But I agree with you. I like Major League. There are a few that I like. I mean, I'm a huge fan of A League of Their Own also. I think Tom Hanks, it's one of his best roles. And this Same. is a guy who's won two Academy yeah. Awards, but he's great in that movie. Paul Dorham, there's there's several others. And you know, if you, if you have kids, you love The Sandlot. There's a lot of baseball movies to choose from. And then that doesn't even count movies like The Natural and Field of Dreams. Oh, God. Don't get me yeah. started on The Natural and Field of Dreams. Yeah. Well, remember, you know, I used to, when Major League Two was filmed, it was actually filmed in Baltimore. And right. I remember one of my, uh, the eight, my, my scout that signed me actually had to come up with some players to put on the field to be able to play against the Indians. And uh, so, I, you know, I met Charlie Sheen and Serrano and all those guys and just right. go down there to the movie set. So it was pretty incredible. And then you get asked just because I played, it's like, okay, what baseball movie probably best describes, or, or I guess is, is a little bit close to what a real player goes through. And that's got to be Bull Durham, you know, with the bus rides and, you know, you need a rain, you need a rain out, you go out and you, and you do whatever you need to do to wet the field. Bull Durham is probably the closest to a minor league team, I think, or a baseball movie or a realistic baseball movie than any, any of them. Uh, Jeff, do you remember in um, For Love of the Game, the yes, Kevin Cosgrove, didn't, 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 didn't like Ricky Lede and Mike Buddy yeah. and a couple of guys from the Yankees from that team, didn't they appear in that movie as extras? They did. And I can't remember the left-handed hitter. He was, uh, he was a white guy, a left-handed hitter. He also was in that movie. Gene, Gene uh, Monahan, the trainer, he was he was actually working on all these guys and uh, also Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner right. came in our locker room. Do you remember when he came in our locker room? I do. And, I remember. Uh, and he, he signed some autographs and we got, got a ball. Matter of fact, I don't know if he's ever signed a baseball, but he went from one end of the horseshoe all the way to the other with his name. I was like, oh my God. I mean, you got to turn this thing around to be able to see his name. But yeah, I remember there was quite a few players. I think and the guy you're talking of is Pose, right? Scott Pose. Yeah, is that his name? Yeah. 
Yes. You know, it's funny. In my book, Coney tells me a story of how Kevin Costner called him after the perfect game. It was the same year as For Love of the Game, and Costner played an aging pitcher who throws a perfect game. So yeah. Costner called Cone after the after the perfect game, but to com- kind of compare notes and say how amazing it was that in the same year, the same summer that the movie came out, Cone ended up throwing that perfect game at the stadium. Peter, I just have one more for you, and it has to do. Uh, look, we we go back and forth on Twitter all the time. Caddyshack. Where does that, I know it's not baseball, but where does Caddyshack rank in your all-time sports movies? I'm just, I'm See, I, I'm, in, I'm in the Caddyshack generation, man. That 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 to me is a movie that I've probably quoted more times than, than any movie. Like how I when, quote when you're, on the golf course, when you're on the golf course, how fast does it come up when you're on the golf course? Oh, I mean, there's so, there's just so many, you know, a hey, nice hat, it looks good on you. All that sort of <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, there's just so, the, the Ronnie Dangerfield stuff, the Chevy Chase stuff, the Bill Murray. It's just, it's such a classic movie. And it was really for its time. It was really kind of the iconic comedy of that of that era. You know, it really launched the careers of guys like Chevy Chase and, oh, and Bill Murray, who were on Saturday Night Live, but it really kind of vaulted them into stardom. And even Rodney Dangerfield, who was basically that was his first major movie role. He was almost sixty years old. And and do you know? Do you know, Peter? You probably know this because I, I've watched countless amounts of documentaries on this, and I'm sure you have too. But he was walking around doing his lines, and and he says, "I can't do this. I'm not getting any laughs," because he was used to that immediate right, laugh hearing the laughs right 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 i thought that was just so rodney to, to, to yeah. be like and the amazing that. thing too when you read about it or you watch documentaries about that movie a lot of that movie was ad-libbed yes uh, harold Dramus from uh, from stripes and some other movies was was the director it was his first Another time directing. classic yes yeah absolutely but he, it was his first time directing and he had bill murray and chevy chase you know ad-lib entire scenes you know the one scene where they're together in the in the shed and carl the, and carl spackler's yeah, house carl Spackler, <laughs> right, exactly uh, that entire scene supposedly was ad-libbed so it just shows you the genius of the of the of those actors that were in that movie northern california sense of me a feather bent bent yeah there <laughs> you go peter body thank you so much we appreciate it remember follow peter on twitter it's at peter body b-o-t-t-e and again go to amazon or barnes and noble and get his new book coming out on April 14th. It's called The Big 50, The Men and the Moments That Made the New York Yankees. Peter, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Take care. Be, Be safe. Joining us now is one of the stars of the hit show, Orange is the New Black. She's also from Brooklyn and a big Yankees fan. It is the lovely Dasha Polanco. Follow Dasha on Twitter and Instagram at sheisdash. Dasha, welcome to the Pinstripe Pod. Uh, How are you holding up first and foremost during this quarantine? Well, you know, I was excited for some baseball to start, Um, but I'm pretty much just giving up staying home, uh, trying to stay as safe as possible and not uh, so that we can get over this and not feel the pressure of being in home all day. You know, you went to college in New York and you wanted to become a nurse. So you would have been full blown into this if you if that was the career path you were going to take. I know. I, well, I, was, I used to work at the hospital and I was just doing my clinical so I could get my registered nurse's uh, license. I could be an RN. And now I look at it and, I, you know, I'm caught with a double-edged sword where I'm like, I could have been there and I uh, wish I was there so that I could help. And then, you know, it's just that kind of things happen for a reason. And I respect those in the front lines. And hopefully, you know, we can all work together to get this over with. 
You filmed a movie and it's going to come out soon in the Heights. I actually saw the Broadway play twice and absolutely loved it. I got to know Lin-Manuel Miranda a couple times. I was in the Broadway softball league. One of my friends owns or runs the Neil Simon Theater. So I used to play Broadway softball against uh, Lynn quite a few times. So I got to know him. He was a big Yankee fan. Talk a little bit about that. That's going to be an unbelievable movie and I can't wait to see it. Lynn is amazing and I'm glad that you play softball. I played softball too in college and I am a Yankee. Yankee fan also. So I have a lot, I'm always watching you guys and I have a lot to talk about the Yanks and where we're going. But as far as In the Heights, I'm so excited because it was a necessary film. If you see the play, you see how it's like timeless. It's a timeless piece that we can all relate to. And even though it was, you know, halted now, it will be released at a right time so that we can enjoy it on a big screen. And it's like a resilience. It's a very family oriented movie. While filming it, it was a team together working towards this, you know, one piece of art. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. Dasha, where, where did your love of the Yankees come from? You said you, you couldn't wait for baseball to start. I think we're all chomping at the bit. Jeff, myself, Jake, our producer, everyone in the tri-state area for crying out loud. So where did your love of the Bronx Bombers come from? Well, Chris, I mean, I can just remember as a little girl, my father watching baseball and, you know, I'm Dominican and baseball is a huge thing for us. Um, but the Yankees, I mean, I've loved the Yankees since I was a little girl. I remember when the, we won the 96 World Series, I was in my parents' bedroom and they had carpet at the time. And when they won, like I just threw myself from the bed to the floor and I had two big scabs on my knees from rug burns. <laughs> I was so excited. And I just remember like Don Zimmer's face like his, like me as a little girl not like as a woman now it doesn't seem that big but back then it was just this big face behind Joe Torre and they were always so serious it was just like determined and that's the type of athlete I am I'm super competitive and like I'm not joking around until, until I win and that's all I can remember all the time I mean the Yankees are a franchise that I, I will forever like respect is the best I mean why wouldn't you I know the real reason why you became a Yankee fan is because of Jeff Nelson watching him pitch in 96 and him coming over <laughs> from Seattle. I know that was the real reason. We don't, want to, we don't need to say that, but, uh, you know, I, I know deep down that's why. But, you know, how about those years? You know, you were, what, 15, 14 back in 96? Come on now. You were like a little kid. I know. I know. And that's all I can remember when they – when the 96, that team right there, I remember it was, um, Jeter had just came on, Mariano Rivera. Now, how often did you go out? How often did you go out? To the stadium? I mean, I have to go at least three, two or three games a year, you know, because I work. But when I have a chance, I have to at least go to one game. And I mean, in the burgers at the stadium, they have this burger with this onion ring and this barbecue sauce. You have to have at least one in the summer. <laughs> And, like, I got to play on the Yankee field. I got to play with CeCe Sabathia has a fundraiser that um, I was called. Oh, for of. sure. A softball game, yeah. The pitching. I was there. I played on the Yankee field. Um, and I feel some, you know, I feel a little proud. I feel like I have some, like, status in the Yankee world since I played there. And it's just amazing. I mean, listen, I would love to see or get the opportunity one day to be, like, a coach. For the Yankees. That's on my vision board, by the way, in case you guys didn't know. <laughs> really? Well, what kind of coach would you want to be? Would you want to be a hitting coach? Would you want to coach third base or first base? Pitching coach? I want to coach third base. I want third, to base. third base. That's a lot I of play pressure. Third right base. There. I have it. And I'm a motivator. I'm like the hype man. Come on, I'll be right there. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> 
I could definitely see that. I, I would I would absolutely, I don't know about you, Nelly, but I would love to see Dasha as the third base coach for the New York Yankees. Dasha, I want to know if there was a bad call at third, what are you doing with the umpire? Are you just gonna let him let him hang? Or are you you're gonna get you're gonna Hell no. Some of that, no, 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 no. <laughs> some of that Latina fever, <laughs> that, that, that Latina fire. I will go in there, I will go up in there just like John Zimmer one time, just like John Zimmer come out on that field and say, are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> but I will be a petty, petty coach because it will make sure that my Yankees, I will make sure that my, I can't, I can't, my Yankees have to like, I will fight back like a beast. Who were your favorite players growing up? Who are some of your favorites? Jeter, Mariano Rivera, first base. You know, Martinez. Tino Martinez. Come on, Tino. <laughs> I was at the All-Star at the World Classic and I met Tino in my heart. I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. And he was, and he ended up being so nice. He was super nice at the at the World Classic and that was insane in Miami. And when I saw him, I was like starstruck. I was like, oh my God, Tino Martinez, I was like so much respect. It's just, those are the type, since I'm an athlete and I'm also an artist, I respect like the, the Bernie Williams and the Paul O'Neill and you guys did amazing 96 I, I remember that I remember toilet paper on the trees how you were with Tino Martinez like when you met him at the World Baseball Classic that's exactly how I would be if I met you because this this show Orange is the New Black and I know you got some new things you're working on in the Harper on the Hopper you got In the Heights it's coming out this year when when all this stuff settles down as, as Nelly told us you're filming Samaritan with one of my childhood idol Sylvester Stallone for crying out loud. I'll, I'll ask you about that in a second, but what I want to get to first is Orange is the New Black because Dasha, we were talking about this before you before you called in. We were talking about ensemble casts throughout the years. And in my estimation, the cast of this show was probably one of the best ensemble casts that I've ever seen in my life. You all nailed your characters so much. But and I'm not just saying this to kiss your rear end because you're on the show. You were one of my favorite characters in Orange is the New Black. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's funny. It was that show did so much for just television as it is, but also, I mean, it changed the way we view television and it also raised light on, on things that we were ignoring that we did not want to speak about in you know, prison reform. And it brought so many conversations to like the light now that I feel so proud of being part of that. I mean, people sometimes think that I'm really Dianara and that I'm, you know, I was actually just released and you're surprised to see me in the street. And I'm like, no, no, that's just the character that I portray. I am an actress. But for the most part, it has, it, it connected with the world, right? It was a, a great ensemble, a great team, a great group of women that we were able to bring these stories to life on, on the screen and connect throughout and transcend so many different um, topics and subjects. And we just had a great time. At this, as as well, so it was a great just part of our history as an actor. I think is a great way to like your first thing to do and how it catapulted me and everything. I'm forever so grateful. I I gotta ask you this uh, because you just brought it up. You said sometimes you felt like Daya and, and and you were just getting out. And did you ever have a, a lot of actors like to take their characters with them wherever they go? Did you find it hard to break that character when when you went back to real life? Did that character have an impact on your real life? I think that my characters, what impacted me about my character is the actual uh, experience 
what she dealt with in prison. It, it taught me a lot. Um, you know, the abuse, the the giving birth in prison, falling in love in prison, you know, having a family member actually, you know, in prison and then having that relationship with the mother. Those are the things that kind of affected me outside where it was like, I, I realized there's not one perspective to life and there's so many different families and um, dynamics when it comes to that. And, you know, incarceration and the experience that human beings have to go in things that I never thought of. I never thought of a woman actually having to give birth in prison and what that was. So those are the things. But as far as that Diana Ava, I was able to disconnect from her, um, thankfully. But once it came to like coming into her, it was very easy. So it was just, she was naive. And I think that that's what connected me to her. The, her naiveness, just the, her innocence. And I used that to be able to portray her role as, as it is, you know. This is why I respect you so much as an actor. Because sometimes you have to be in two different projects, Dasha, to be two different characters. But Daya transformed from that naive, docile, I'm going to get out soon character to someone who got very hardened very fast because of the stuff that happened to her in prison. So was it difficult for you to transform that character from being the naive and docile one to being the one that was on edge and angry and just evil? No, I usually I just become evil like from one point. Oh my God. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, um, you know, I think that for me, it was so funny because along me portraying this role, I used to like draw things from my experiences. And I think that I could see that people don't know that, but I know that as an actor, I'm like, Oh my God, I can see season one. I was so excited. I was so like innocent to this, to this career and, and how I viewed things. And then season two, uh, it became something else. Right. And so I kind of pulled from my life to do that. It does become a little tedious when you have to like, let's say you work on, on, on one project and you have to go to another. Just people don't realize that you get emotionally like fatigued you get tired like you have to cry for like three hours straight and like portray that you're you're getting hit with something you know like that becomes it, it does become tiring it's not like you're not you're just in there acting like hey i'm caught in pain and pain does hurt me but pain you know you actually have to bring that i mean there was a part in, in orange that i had i was hyperventilating when there was like um the hurricane um there was a weather and, and that i remember that that while i was like breathing you know i was actually exhausted like i was almost hyperventilating because it was so exhausting to portray you know heavy breathing for x amount of hours imagine so it does help for the character, all those things I would draw from to be able to go and use my my spectrum of emotion. But it does become tiresome and, um, you know, you have to learn how to, like, work through it. Yeah, Dasha, last one for me. I, I got to know, you know, what's it like working with Rocky? You got a new movie coming out, Sylvester Stallone. I mean, Rocky was back when I was young. But what's it like working with him? Got any funny stories? Mr. Sly, Sylvester Stallone, I absolutely he was on my one of my bucket lists since I was little. I would watch. I know all my Rockies, the soundtrack, my Rambo's, my Cobra, my um, yes! over the top. Yes, like, Joshua, yes. I mean, <laughs> come on, come on, fly. <laughs> Come on, I can go on. So when I heard this, I was in the airport when I got the role, and I was, and I just started to cry because I couldn't believe as a little girl, like I was gonna be in front of Sylvester Stallone. And so when I met him, oh my God, the sweetest, most kind man, 
smart actor, so generous. When I, I mean, even that scene, the first time I, I was so nervous and I started to cry, but not in front of him. I never cry. I never do that. I act like, you know, super cool. And I never expected that to happen, but I'm going to tell you this that I find so funny. I thought that I was going to come in here and I was going to be able to work out with Mr. Sly and we were going to go <laughs> and I was going to have like my Rocky moment. And I was like, that's it. I'm getting a meal prep. I'm getting ready for this. And then, you know, we had like a, like a welcome dinner. And the first thing that he talks to me about is, you never had a Sunday? Oh my God, <laughs> a, a banana split? And I'm like, no, I've never had a banana split. He's like, oh no, no, we gotta have a banana split. We gotta find a banana split. So the deal is once we're done, I'm gonna have my first banana split. And I was like, all I wanted was to jump rope with slide, jump rope. Um, but no, I'm actually gonna have a banana split instead. So. I'm excited for that. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So instead of chasing a chicken around and trying to catch the chicken and be, you know, able to eat lightning and crap thunder, he's going to have a banana split with you. I don't believe that. That's unbelievable. Oh, man. I I'm mean, so banana jealous. split with Rocky. I mean, come on. <laughs> You cannot beat that. Dasha Polanco, thank you so much. Uh, follow Dasha on Twitter and Instagram. It's at she is dash. And just a reminder, In the Heights coming out uh, June 26th and Samaritan with Sylvester Stallone filming now. That comes out December of 2020. Dasha Polanco, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Let's go Yankees. Let's go Yankees. Let's go, and, and please, let's, let's all do a campaign for Dasha's third base coach woman position thank you very much we gotta see it cosign <laughs> all right guys stay safe Let's chat now with a terrific actor that you have seen in movies such as The Longest Yard, Black KK Klansman, uh, TV shows like Kevin Can Wait, Blue Bloods, and so much more. He's a diehard Yankees fan and a great Twitter follow. Nick Turturro joining us on the Pinstripe Pod. You could follow Nick on Twitter, especially during the Yankees season. It's at Nick Turturro and the number one. Nick, welcome to the show. Uh, how's this quarantine going for you, buddy? It's going all right. It's a weird time, you know, but I'm catching up on a lot of old games. Been watching a lot of games that I've watched, a lot of games games that I was at. It's funny watching these old games because, you know, they bring you back and it's just as exciting as when you saw them. You get excited, you get wild and think about this one pitch, this one play. And a lot of these games, you know, some of these games I was at and some games I watched. And like I said, they're just as good watching some of these old games. I mean, I'm a nut that way, but you can relive, you know, relive these games and they're better than some of like the, you feel like it's, there's a freshness to them, except, you know, they played them over and over, but I've enjoyed it. You know, I've watched the 95 game, the game five in Seattle. And then, you know, I've watched the 2001 game in Arizona, which I was at, game seven. And, you know, the other game with Tino, game four. Uh, and then the Brocious game in 2003, game seven, another game, the Aaron Boone game that I was at. And also the 78 game, which I watched in the basement in Garden City, my friend Tony Ingrassi's house. So, you know, the Bucky Dent game, probably arguably one of the greatest games ever. Uh, I mean, you can make a list. Let me stop you right there for a second, because I, I want you to get after my co-host here, because last week on the this show, Nick. We talked to Tino Martinez and I had to hear Tino and Nelly talk about 95 and Griffey jumping at the plate, beating the Absolutely. Yankees in 95. And I want you to get after him right now about that. Yeah, well, it's ironic because I, I guess Jeff is on that team with, with 
with Tino, and uh, I was living in Sherman Oaks. I actually punched the wall. I put my fist right through a wall that game. <laughs> but, you know, that was, a, that was a game. That was a series in a game, you know, the Yankees, you know, should have won that series. But it was the baseball guys, I always say, there's something in the water. There's something in the card. Even when you rewatch these games, you go, why? Why did this happen? I mean, Showalter got fired. Maybe for a good reason. I mean, you know, he should have taken out David Cohn in that game. As much as I love Cohn, he threw 140,000 pitches. <laughs> and after the Griffey, sorry, after the, if you rewatch that game, after the Griffey home run, you tell me, Jeff, after the, the, the Griffey home run, he's done. He's freaking done. It's 4-3. He walked the freaking, he walked the next 4,000 guys. And it's like tie game. And, you know, it, he just knew something wasn't right. That's a game that, look, Tino then came and, and Nelson and Jeff Nelson came. These guys were, uh, not because you're on the phone, but he was a very, very unsung guy. And it's funny, the years he wasn't there, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the Yankees didn't win at all. I mean, I, they, they missed him, you know, because they, they definitely missed Jeff. You know, I mean, not, listen, I, Mariano got all the glory and he had Stanton, but he was nasty. And he was, a, he was a weapon. He was a real weapon. I mean, when you think about great, great bullpens, I mean, I was watching the Nasty Boys. They were pretty dominant. I don't know why they were only dominant for one year. Jeff was a big part. But, you know, listen, that's 95. That's their, that's it. Listen, they didn't even win the World Series. So they're, they're still, you know, still living the 95, you know. They're still living that. So that's all they have. So let them have, let them have that. You know what I mean? I got over that. I moved on after that. I mean, you know, it hurts a little bit. Yankee should have I, I felt bad for Don. Yeah, he never won anything. He never won anything. Here's a little story that's probably not going to let you get over it. You know, in, in that 95 series, during the year, we we as a team lit up John Wetland. Every time John Wetland came in, we would, we would rope him. Edgar Martinez hit him for a grand slam. He had zero success against us. But Mariano Rivero, that was his, that was his first postseason. He was just maybe, he was a starter then in the minors, came up. And Buck Showalter was afraid to use him. And I remember talking to Tino, Jay Buhner, Griffey. They they said if Mariano would have thrown in any one of these series, the Yankees would have went on. He was that nasty then. Buck would not use him in any kind of situation. Right. He was rely. He had no faith in him. I guess because they said Buck didn't like young pitchers, and maybe to Buck's defense, you know, you didn't know enough about him. He brought him in after Cone, and then he threw three strikes to uh, I think it was Blowers or something, and he looked, through, and then he gave up a hit or he walked. The beginning, and they pulled him right away for Black Jack, Jack Black. But if they would have brought him earlier into that game, just for argument's sake, uh, Jeff or Chris, I mean, if they would have brought him in after he gave up the home, who knows? Who the, who the hell knows? Maybe, maybe the Mariners knew that this kid was – I was hearing whispers about him in 95, but we didn't know. was hearing because he was a failed starter, right? He was a failed starter, and then all of a sudden his, his velocity came up. I don't even know if he threw a cutter then. I think he just threw, like, really hard. You know, obviously he had something. And if they would have brought him in that game earlier, that's what I'm saying. Like, if they would have brought him in that game earlier, Yankees maybe win that fifth game. And maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe there's no baseball in Seattle. I mean, who knows? You know, you, you just don't know what how maybe the Safeco never gets built. Yeah, I know. We were moving, actually, probably to Tampa. If we wouldn't have made the playoffs and won the division series, the Mariners would have moved to Tampa, I think. Wow, uh, and there wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been baseball in Seattle, and that that year saved actually the playoffs and the division series saved baseball in Seattle, and and they have uh, a documentary about the whole playoff and whole basically last couple months about baseball being saved in Seattle. But Nick, I, I want to ask you, you know, how about the three in a row though? You know, nine, the '98 team. You know, going back, the you know, one interesting thing when we had our '96 reunion in in 2016. 
I'm looking around the diamond and I think you take it for granted about the teams that you were on and you look at every position because we got called out and we went to our position and we had everybody on the mound and you had, you know, strawberry good. You look at the team and the people that were on it and the players are on it. It's freaking amazing. And here's the thing about those teams and what's really beautiful about that team is, you know, you really didn't have bonafide, bonafide, um, like superstars, but you had you had terrific, terrific players, guys that, you know, they really, I mean, when you say, you know, like they were kind of a blue-collar team, they really were, because, I mean, Strawberry at one time was a superstar, but he was more of a contributor, and then you had great players like, you know, O'Neal, which to me was always the anchor. When he came over to the Yankees, I thought he, in a lot of ways, that trade was a steal of a lifetime, and he gave up Roberto Kelly, but Paul O'Neal brought something special, and then, you know, Jeter was special from the get-go. And then you had Bernie who came of age and then Tino fit right in. And then you had all kinds of guys, Tim Raines and Knobloch and, you know, it's it, it just all over. And then Brocious, you know, um, they just were, you know, deeper than deep. Everybody bought in and they could win so many different ways. Like these last couple of years, the Yankees have been exciting, but they're kind of limited and they're getting beaten. You see why they're getting beat. And those teams, they knew how to like, well, whatever it took to win, they knew how to get it done. A walk, a hit, you know, it was little, little things that you took for granted. But those are the things that won you, uh, won your championships. And even you go back to the postseason, how they, you know, they didn't blow people away. But, you know, even, even they swept the Padres. That series could have been a lot different. The Padres series. The Yankees almost could have lost the first game. Tino, uh, Tino struck out. We got a break. You did. I know. <laughs> he yes. 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 We got a break. I mean, Mark Langston threw a strike. You know, he even he, he he admits it too, Nick. So you're right. You know, I mean, we still sure. in yeah. Yeah. He know. I mean, I you feel bad sometimes when you see that because you go, hey, you know, a strike is a strike. I mean, I was talking. Yeah. About no, 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 no. Hold on. We don't feel bad. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> and no, no, I don't feel bad. I'm just saying. In your heart, you're you're like, wait a minute. I know that was, listen, like I was there, you know, when I was a kid, I was there, I was there game four, 78, when Reggie stuck his ass out. Now, Reggie stretched the rules, but he did it within the guidelines. You know, I was having an argument with Ron Say about it. Ron Say is still bitter to this day. In fact, he was arguing with me, telling me that the game ended at one o'clock in the morning. I said, well, you're wrong. I was at the game. I know that. I said, I know you played in the game. It was a late afternoon game. And I said, you know, the Yankees, uh, the game did not end at one o'clock. It ended like at eight or nine. Because he goes, the next day we were tired because it ended. He goes, no, no, you're wrong. I said, no, no, no. I said, look it up, look it up. Then he looked it up. They go, holy mackerel, Nick is right. He was like, I, I don't know. He couldn't give it up. He couldn't even say, well, I apologize, Nick. It's all right, Ron. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? Real quick, Nick, you talk about Ron Say. You know John Smoltz to this day is still upset about the 96 World Series. When they, we go to Atlanta down two games to nothing, he thought it was over. And I talk to him. I see him quite a bit during the year. And he's still bitter about that year. Yeah, you know, that doesn't surprise me. That, that, that's like a bitter team. As many, you know, because as many, you know, even though they're the team of the 90s, they got one token World Series. And then if, if, you, if you talk to a lot of guys, I mean, those two other pitches, uh, their strike zone was insane. Not smoke. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Right. Glavin, yeah, yes. If you think Glavin and Maddox, seven of those pitches weren't strike. Kenny Lawson told me that the, the, the Indians felt like they were cheated out of that world because, because we knew the strike zone, Nick. We never went outside the strike zone, and it ruined our whole approach. And I understand. I mean, you're like, you couldn't compete with, listen, a strike is a strike. But they used to get called. Him and Maddox, put the glove here, put the glove there. The only one that threw legitimate strikes was Smoke. You know, they were great pitches. I'm not saying they weren't. But, man, they got the benefit of so many calls. That's when you, I mean, when you, when you get 
into umpiring, you hate to talk about that stuff, but it, there's some truth to that. There's some real truth to that. But he's still bitter. Hey, that don't surprise me, you know? <laughs> Hey, Nick, you know, we know you live on every pitch uh, with this Yankees team. We see it every year. You're a great Twitter follow. Uh, you're so into this Yankees team. But we, Jeff and I, we're huge fans of your acting career as well. And we just had Dasha Polanco on from Orange is the New Black. And we talked about the ensemble cast in that show being probably one of the best ensemble cast of all time you all in the longest yard with adam sandler that cast was pretty amazing too i mean talk about a, a huge cast sandler chris rock michael irvin i mean you as brucey that's a hell of a cast nick and for us i mean that's a movie that's like an airplane that's like a naked gun that's one you could watch over and over and over again and you could have a 20 minute break or 20 year break from it pop it into your dvd player or download download it digitally and still laugh as hard as you did as the first time you saw it. Yeah, it's funny how that movie holds up. I mean, you know, it had a wild cast. I mean, so much testosterone in that movie. I mean, you had rappers, you had wrestlers, you had football players, you had uh, comedians. I, I mean, I didn't even want to go in the shower with these guys. There was so much, you know, bravado going on. I was like, I got to get out of here. They're like, where are you going, Nikki? I said, it's all right. all right. Let me keep my manhood. So, I mean, but it was, <laughs> it was like, you know, it's almost like, you know, you're on a team, you know, you're if you were a jock, you understand that. I mean, I played some basketball and played baseball late. So you understand that that kind of guys. I mean, Adam Sandler had water girls like during the football games and even just for morale, like girls that would give out water to the guys. And it was it was a great, a lot of fun. I mean, I was into what I was doing. So uh, I had no idea, you know, it was going to be that funny. You know, at the beginning, Adam was like the coach and, ah, right, dude, you're going to, you're going to, you're killing it. You're killing it. And he just kept adding more lines to me. And like the beginning, my part was really nothing. And then he was like, you're funny, you're funny. And he kept, he said, I have to totally say this. I have him say that. And I was like, all of a sudden, it became like a, you know, a steam-stealing role in a movie that was it's always good to have a good role. But then when the movie's good and you're good in it, because I've been in things that, you know, they don't work or whatever, and you're good in something that's bad, you know. But when you're in something that's good and you're good in it, you know, and you contribute, you feel like you're on a good team, you know what I mean? Just like you contributed to a winning team. You were on those Yankee teams. And there's a lot of things that go into having a good team. You could do good work on a bad team, but you don't get no credit. So when you're on a winning team, it's like even with a movie or a series. You go, ah, you know, I contributed. I did my, I did my part in it because, uh, and it's always, it's, you know, it's funny how people to this day, like 2005 people, hey, Brucey, what's up? And I'm like, you know, my name's not Brucey, but okay, well, whatever. It's already yeah. heard of me. So. <laughs> oh, Brucey's mad right now because I was, I ripped up uh, Peterson last year. It was like kind of fun. And, I thought he flipped me off and all this stuff. And then I ran into him. He was like, you called me a douche. I was like, I was like shocked. You know, I go, I go, I go, you know, you gave me the, uh, the old Bushka douche, you know, that line I had to, and he grabbed the crotch. And I was, I go, come on, let's make up. Come on. We're going to hug it out or what? And he goes, all right, all right. I was at a, I was at a Kings game. And it was the night that we tried Jared Cole. I was like, oh my God. We signed Jared. I go, we signed him. I was saying, he was like, yeah, they're too cheap. They're not going to sign him. You guys are going to get him. And, uh, it was so, it was, you know, it was really funny, but Listen, that's, you know, sports, movies, there's a lot of things that you have in common. Because, you know, a lot of athletes, they want to act. And then, you know, a lot of actors, they want to be an athlete. So there's a common uh, thread there. It's funny. 
Okay, Nick, I want to hear the story real quick. Back before you became an actor, I was reading that you were a doorman in Manhattan, and it happened to be the building that Billy Joel lived, and you would rate his girlfriends. And who would you rate them to? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, Billy, I was a big Billy Joel fan. And then all of a sudden, one day I come to work, sitting right on the park. Actually, a lot of Yankees used to live there back in the day. Mickey Mantle, Billy Martin. These guys used to all get drunk and crash over there. So one day I come to work and they say, you know, who moved in for like six months? Billy Joel. And I was like, I used to go to Long Island, Nassau College. I'm Billy Joel. I'm like, this is my idol. How am I going to act when I see him? So I had to act like, control myself when I saw him. And little by little, I got to know him. He liked me. And I had 50 people waiting for a cab. Billy would come out. I'm like, I got you, Billy. I got you. And Everybody go, well, what are you doing? I go, hey, 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 everybody, relax. Billy Joel. Billy Joel was first. <laughs> so he was like, Nick, you're the man, you're the man. So he was going for a divorce at the time. And then he started uh, dating Al McPherson and then Christy Brinkley. And he's like, I don't know which one to pick. And I was like, hey, Billy, you can't lose. You're the one. And all I said to him is like, he could be like, you believe I'm going out with her? I go, hey, listen, Billy, you're Billy Joel. Oh, forget that. Never mind, Christy. You're Billy. Yeah, you're right, Nick. You're right. Don't worry. I said, you're right. <laughs> so I used to tell him, calm him down. And, you know, I, I, you know he, was, he would ask my little tips and tats. And, you know, even if his ex-wife was looking for him, I told him, hey, listen, I got you covered. She's trying to track you down. Don't worry about it. Listen, I dealt with everybody. I had, I had Trump over there, too. So, you know, I, you know, I actually, uh, you know, I had the whole Mall of Maple thing, you know, I was like, I knew what was going on, but I never ratted the guy out, so I could talk about it. I was kind of like, I was a jack of all trades. I was out there in the street. I mean, it was crazy. You know, one morning I'm pitching pennies, seven o'clock in the morning with Mickey Mantle. He's out there, and I'm like, turn around, it's Mickey Mantle and me. He's half hung over, and I'm like, man, holy shit, man, that's Mickey Mantle. Hey, Mickey, how you doing? I was talking to him, you know, a little bit about, he was like, sort of like, you know, I said, what's the difference today? The guys here, well, they're a lot bigger, a lot stronger, you know. He, was, he wasn't the friendliest guy, but I think he was like half hung over. I was like, that was really funny. Like early in the morning, you know, there's horse and carriages, Central Park South, and me and Mickey Mantle. I was like, wow, you know, you never knew who you were going to meet out there. You know, I met the world out there. It was so Billy, Billy Joel's hype man and also hanging out with Mickey Mantle. That's unbelievable. Nick Taturo, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing some of these stories and sharing some of your time with us. Remember, at Nick Taturo and the number one on Twitter. Also check out his Breaking Bread podcast on YouTube and iTunes. And he's also developing a pilot with his son called Band of Idiots. And I myself, I can't wait for that. Nick, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Nice Thanks, talking Nick. to you and Jeff. All right, Chris. You too, man. Take care, guys. That's a wrap for episode five of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for producing the show. Thanks to Peter Boddy, Dasha Polanco, and Nick Turturro for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. Stay safe, everybody. Talk to you next Monday. <laughs>